started, it's really good to see everybody. Happy New Year, right? Hopefully and prayerfully 2024 will be a year full of blessings and hope and happiness, right? Any of y'all that are taking part in our Bible study know we're doing the book of Job right now and there's not a whole lot of happiness going on right now. He's really got... Yeah, yeah, he. And it was, it was, it was bad. Yeah, he took a beating. So, uh, so uh, it's also in the uh, read the Bible in a year. We're on Job now. Yes, yeah, that's what we're, yeah. And so, if any of y'all that haven't uh, aren't participating and would like to, the handouts are um, back on the table by the red roses. If you would like a copy of that, a uh, printed copy of that, you're more than welcome to take one of those. And uh, any of you that are reading, if you get behind, do not get discouraged. And my recommendation to you is don't try to catch up because you'll get frustrated. Like I, uh, if you get three weeks behind and try to read three weeks worth of Bible readings in a couple of days, it'll really frustrate you. So just get back to where we are and just follow along and make sure you can catch back up again. Um, so it's really good to see you all. And we are praying for Miss Jackie. Reach in and see what you can find out here. Reach in and see what I can find in there. Oh, you are a good man. You are a good man. This is my coffee cup. Did, did you say this, Ken? Yeah. So you, now you and um, uh, your boss have something in common. He rescued my cup, too. I left it on top of my car one day leaving church, and he picked it up in the road out on uh, Goshen Road. So y'all both saved my coffee cup now, and I thank you both for doing that. All right, we really need to go ahead and get started. Um, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. I'm going to yeah, take these, David. If somebody else comes in, if you'll hand them one of those, that would be great. So um, I want to start. Um, if you look on the back of your, if you look on the back of your handout, there's a prayer in here. This is a prayer that was said by some Puritans back a long time ago, um, but it's a prayer of, uh, to the Trinity. And so we're going to open today with this prayer. And then I want to talk about the prayers um, as we get going. So let's go ahead and pray. I'm just going to read this prayer. I'm not, I didn't write this. This is somebody else that wrote this. But I, I just want to share this prayer with you. So let's open in prayer. Three in one, one in three, God of my salvation. Heavenly Father, blessed Son, and eternal Spirit. I adore you as one being, as one essence, one God and three distinct persons. For bringing sinners to your knowledge and to your kingdom. Oh, Father, you have loved me, and you sent Jesus to redeem me. Oh, Jesus, you have loved me and assumed my nature. Shed your own blood to wash away my sins. Wrought righteousness to cover my unworthiness. Oh, Holy Spirit, you have loved me and entered my heart. You implanted their eternal life and revealed to me the glories of Jesus. Three persons and one God, I bless and praise thee. For love so unmerited, so unspeakable, so wondrous, so mighty, to save the lost and raise them to glory. O Father, I thank you that in the fullness of grace you have given me to Jesus to be his sheep, his jewel, and his portion. O Jesus, I thank you that in the fullness of grace you have accepted, espoused, and bound me. O Holy Spirit, I thank you that in the fullness of grace you have exhibited Jesus as my salvation. Implanted faith within me, subdued my heart, and made me one with him forever. O oh, Father, you are enthroned to hear my prayers. 
Oh, Jesus, your hand is outstretched to take my petitions. Oh, Holy Spirit, you are willing to help my infirmities, to show me my need, to supply words, to pray with me, to strengthen me that I faint not in supplication. Oh, triune God who commands the universe, you have commanded me to ask you for things that concern your kingdom and my soul. Let me live and pray as one baptized into your threefold name. Amen. Now, I bring that up because as we've been talking in our, our lectures, our Sunday school classes, the modern church has lost sight of the Trinity. We, we lose sight of the mystery of the Trinity. And so, so often we, uh, the distinctions between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the oneness of the Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit and the Son are, are blurred and, and, and uh, mistaught and misused. I'll give you an example. So I, I cheated on you guys earlier this week. I went to, um, on uh, Tuesday night, I do a once a month class down at Savannah Bible Mission. I'm actually going to ask a couple of you to come to that one time with me just to see what we do there. Uh, but um, I taught this class, basically this class earlier this week. And before we went in to teach the class, I went into the bathroom at the mission. And as I was getting ready to leave the bathroom, there was a sign on the, over the sink and it said, wash your hands. Jesus and germs are everywhere. (laughs) So I went into the class to teach the class and I used that as an example of our misuse or our, our misconceptions about the Trinity. You see, Jesus is not everywhere. According to the Apostles' Creed, according to the Scriptures, where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of His Father in heaven. And one of the worst uh, heresies in the church, in, in, in the, the Christian church, if you will, or the Roman church, is the heresy of transubstantiation, that when the priest says the hocus pocus, that's horrible quorum, he, he says this, Formula And by pronouncing that formula, that bread physically turns into the body of Christ. That's what they teach. Well, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is not omnipresent. Now, he is present in his spirit. We learned that the Father and the Son sent the Spirit, and he is omnipresent. So it is the Spirit of the Father, it is the Spirit of the Son that comes and dwells with us now today. But that sign was wrong in saying that Jesus and germs are everywhere in one sense. Now, what I told him is this. If you changed it and said God and germs are everywhere or the Holy Spirit and germs are everywhere, right, you would have been accurate. So do you understand what I'm saying when I say that Jesus is not there? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He told us in the Bible that we would do greater works than him. Well, the reality is is Jesus did the greatest work of all in saving us, dying to save us. But his disciples went out and carried out his commission. And now the word of God is all over the globe, you see. So greater in scope. Jesus was in one little section of land in the Middle East. The gospel message through the power of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the word is now over the whole world. And so when we started these classes on of God and the Trinity, one of the things we said was that 
a lot of the heresies that are presented in the church today come from a conflation of the creator and the creation. Remember we said that God is the creator. And the moment that we bring him down to a level and make him like the creation, we start blurring the line between creator and creation. And that's where all of the heresies come from. Well, the heresies also come from our conflation of the distinctions in the Trinity. There's a pastor on TV, T.D. Jakes. He's, he, T.D. Jakes is a modalist. And a modalist means that God is one, but he presents himself to us in different modes. So T.D. Jakes would have a problem with the baptism of Jesus because Jesus was standing in the water, physically in the flesh. The fa- his father in heaven said, from heaven shouted and said what this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and then the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus's body so you have all three members of the Trinity there in one scene but a a modalist somebody who says that God is just one he just presents himself to us in different modes is now conflating and saying the father is the son the son is the spirit and the spirit is the father they're all one But the mystery of the Trinity says that God is one being, but he's three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. They are three persons, and each person plays distinctive roles. Let's look at this prayer that this this guy wrote. Yes, Yes, very. Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God. You can worship the Holy Spirit, you can worship Jesus, and you can worship the Father. And we we have access to him through the Spirit, right? That's exactly right. That's why we can pray in Jesus' name. That's exactly right. And so if you notice in this prayer that... That's perfectly right. And not only that, but their attributes are shared as well. The Father is light, the Son is light. And the Holy Spirit is light. The Father is holy. The Son is holy. The Holy Spirit is holy. Right? Uh, The Father is love. The Son is love. The Holy Spirit is love. They share their attributes because they are one being. But that one being is three persons. Now, for me and you, it's a mystery. When I say mystery, it's not like something that Scooby-Doo and the crime crew has to figure out. In the Bible, a mystery means something that in times past was not known, but now it has been revealed. So in the scriptures, we see the mystery of the Trinity. It is revealed to us. There are parts of it that we're never going to know, never understand, and never be able to explain because God is God and we are not. And the reason that you and I will have a hard time grasping the concept of one being and three persons is because we are one being and one person. Yes. And our mind can't wrap around that, that reality. Do you have one more to hand out? Yes. Oh, okay. So let's look at this prayer that was prayed here and, and just look at a couple things. Number one, Heavenly Father. So who is addressing this? He's addressing the Father, Blessed Son, and Eternal, Eternal Spirit. Who is he praying to? He's praying to the Father, he's praying to the Son, and he's praying to the Holy Spirit. Now, We know through the scriptures that we pray to the Father through the Son 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our high priest and he intercedes for us to the Father. But it is perfectly okay for you to pray to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what you'll find is as you pray and as you mature and as you grow, you'll find that you, you pray wrong sometimes. I've prayed this before. Father, thank you for dying on the cross to save me from my sins. You see, God did die on the cross to save me from my sins, but it was God the Son. And in my prayer, I just, I, I just attributed the death on the cross to the Father when it was the Son who died on the cross. The Father sent the Son. The Son died. And now the Holy Spirit is convincing us and convicting us of those realities. And so as we delve into the mystery, we need to understand that it is a mystery and God is beyond explanation. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how God is immutable, how God is simple, how God is without passions. And that offends us a little bit because it makes us think that God is just some, something that's way up there that just doesn't care about us or doesn't even have any concern for us. But the reality is, is through the revelation of the Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are allowed in to the beauty and the holiness of who he is. We can see him now and we can understand him because what did Jesus say? If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And so God loves us and he's a compassionate God and he's a merciful God and he's a caring God and he's a loving God who loved us and sent his son to die to save us. So it's not like he's just some cold, impassable thing up there that's, that we just can't even relate to. And I, I hope that that was never what you heard when I was teaching that the last couple of weeks. When we talk about God not having passions, we mean that he is not swayed and moved as we are. God's anger is a holy and righteous anger that never changes. When we think of anger, we think of kicking the cat or screaming at the kids or yelling at the wife. Like that's the kind of anger we think of. And that's not the anger of God. God is a holy and a righteous God, and he is angry at sin every day. And that his attitude towards that never changes. But let's look at this prayer and see a couple of things. He says, I adore you as one being, as one essence, one God and three distinct persons for bringing sinners to your knowledge and to your kingdom. All right. Oh, Father, you have loved me and sent Jesus to redeem me. So this person is praying and recognizing the role of the, one of the roles of the Father. What is the role of the Father? He begot the Son, and he sent the Son to redeem us and save us. You see, that's one of the things that the Father did. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. And even when we think about the Son and we think about his begetting, he is eternally begotten. There is never a time when Jesus was not. That's something that we can't grasp either. Because every one of us came into existence in time. It's hard for us to understand. So a lot of people will hear that, well, he was begotten of the Father. It means that there was a time when the Father was alone. And he begot the Son. That's not the case. The Son is eternally begotten. The Holy Spirit is eternal. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Holy Spirit's eternal. All right. So he was begotten to redeem us. Jesus, you will love me, you have loved me, and you assumed my nature. All right. If y'all have been a part of the sermons for the last four weeks, we understand what that means. The word became 
flesh and dwelt among us. He assumed our nature, and you shed your own blood to wash away my sins. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, poured out his blood to redeem us, to purchase us, to save us. And you brought righteousness to cover my unworthiness. Then he says, oh, Holy Spirit, you have loved me and entered my heart and implanted their eternal life and revealed to me the glories of Jesus. The Bible teaches us, and we'll learn in the future, that what are the role, what, are you, what do you think some of the things that the Holy Spirit does? What, what, is, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? What does he do? We've already talked about a couple of them. I hope maybe you heard one of them. He intercedes for us, right? Actually, as Jesus is interceding, the Holy Spirit um, brings us into union, if you will, with the Father and the Son. Like he, he, he dwells in us. So the Holy Spirit, we, we learn in the Bible that the Holy Spirit, one of the first things the Holy Spirit is responsible for is regeneration. Marvel not, I say to you, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are what? born again and so it's through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit that my eyes and my ears are open to hear and know the truth another thing that the Holy Spirit does that Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us of sin right he's, he's that, that he's better than a subconscious because a subconscious is what I am he is God living in me and convicting me when I do wrong now, what's the difference in the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sins and the devil condemning me of my sins? What's the difference in those two things? When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sins, what's the purpose of that? To drive you to the cross so that you might know his forgiveness. That's exactly right. To bring you back to God. To, redeem, to reconcile you to the Father and to the Son. So when the Holy Spirit is convicting us of our sins... He's not doing it just to make us feel bad. He's doing it so that we will repent and turn back to the cross. And I do hope that each and every one of you in this room understand that as children of God, repentance is a daily thing. It's not that one-time thing that you did when you got up and went down the aisle and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Repentance is a daily thing. And the more you grow and walk with him, the more sensitive you become to your sin. Right? In human terms, that would be frustrating because we're constantly reminded of how good we're not. But when we realize the purpose of that conviction, that it is to bring us to the cross and remind us of the forgiveness that we have in Christ, it brings us peace and joy. Now, the devil will convict you and condemn you or condemn you of your sins. The devil will remind you how bad a person you are. The devil will remind you uh, that what you didn't do today. Oh, you didn't go to Sunday school. Shame on you. See? Right? And the con condemnation of the devil, the point of him condemning us, the spirit of Antichrist, if you will, the opposite of the Holy, well, not even the opposite of the Holy Spirit, because the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist are created beings. The Holy Spirit is creator. But the point of the condemnation from the devil, from the spirit of Antichrist, is to drive you from the cross. To make you forget that you are his child. To make you forget that you have redemption and forgiveness of sin. But the Holy Spirit is there to convict us of our sins. One thing he does. Number two, to convince us of what Christ has done for us. Also, to confirm in us who we are. 
The Holy Spirit reminds you that you are his, that you belong to him, that you are a child of your father who art in heaven. So the Holy Spirit is the comforter, right? That's what the Bible calls him. He is a comforter. He brings us comfort. So he brings us conviction to bring us to the cross so that we might find comfort. Those are all alliteration. I didn't mean that, but it just happened that way. He convicts us, drives us to the cross so that we might have comfort. And those are three different things that the Holy Spirit does for us. He's also the one responsible for regenerating our hearts. You remember in the book of Genesis, we just read that last week, and what God uh, said, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. He, the, so God used the Word, the Son, and the Spirit to bring about creation. And do you remember in the story of Mary and Jesus, what did the Spirit do? He hovered over the wound of Mary and placed within her the Son of God. And what does God do in your heart? He does the same thing. In the same way that he brought light out of chaos in the creation, he brought light into your heart and brought life. So the Holy Spirit is responsible for the re- regeneration of your heart. You see, that's one of the roles he does. So Jesus died on the cross to redeem us. He was buried in the grave. Three days later, he what? ascended into heaven, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And we learned that the Father and the, and the Son has sent the Spirit now to complete the work that was began in eternity through the Father's decree, was confirmed on that cross when Jesus poured his blood out for us. And now the Holy Spirit is carrying out that task of seeking and finding that which is lost. And each and every one of you in this room play a role in that. Why? Because you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, you have his love and his light in you, and you are to be a love and light in the world. You are to love your neighbor as you love yourself and to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And you have been commanded to pray. You have been commanded to uh, worship him. You have been commanded to share his truth with other people, with your children. We're going to learn that today about how important is for the family to raise up your kids in a fear and admonition of the Lord, to to teach them the word of God, because that is the means that he uses to bring his people to himself. And so it's not just the preacher's responsibility to share the truth with the world around him. It's every member of the body's responsibility. And the Holy Spirit will give you the strength to do that. And, And the moment that you begin to think, well, what if they ask me something that I don't know, right? Well, get ready. They are going to ask you something that you don't know, right? You don't have to know it all. You just have to know him, and you have to know his truth, all right? And so he's praying. He says, oh, Spirit, Spirit, you have loved me. You entered my heart. Um, About halfway down, it says, oh, Father, I thank you that in the fullness of grace, you have given me to Jesus to be his sheep, his jewel, and his portion. Did you know that the body of Christ, who, who was the body of Christ? The church. Did you know that the church is a gift from the Father to the Son? The Father has given the Son a people for himself. And the Son came and died on that cross to redeem his people. He is espoused. That's one of the words it uses in there. What do we think of when we think of espoused? 
married. And what is the church also known as? The what? The bride of Christ. Right? The father gives the church to the son as a gift. And the son and the church say, I do. Through the Holy Spirit. And they become one. The two become one. It's a beautiful picture of who we are in Christ. And so he says, oh, Holy Spirit, thank you that in the fullness of grace, you have exhibited Jesus to me as my salvation. You implanted faith within me. You subdued my stubborn heart and you made me one with him forever. So you see how this prayer is recognizing the distinctions and the roles between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And and I hope you'll take that and, and just read it and think about, because whoever prayed this prayer I can promise you this person didn't just pray this off the top of their head. What did they do? They wrote it down. They thought about the different things. And that's important. It's important for us to meditate on who the Father is and who the Son is and who the Spirit is. That's why you, sometimes you need to think of what you're praying for. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit who's got our back when we're praying. Right. right. Because think of your children. Think of the things that they asked for for Christmas, right, and what they really need. I used to get angry at my great aunts because they would all give me socks and underwear when I was a kid. And I was the last, and I did have one aunt who always would give us a, like, five, well, back then it was a $5 bill. And that was like, whoo, that's, I can go buy candy and comic books with this. But the reality is, is now at 55 years old, I'm thankful for underwear and socks because those are the things that I actually need every year. Now, I didn't realize that when I was a kid because mom was always the one that made sure there was some in my, in my drawer, you see. But it's the same way with our prayers to God. Like, we as children pray astray. We ask for things that we don't need. We fail to ask for things that we do need. We forget to be thankful for things that we should be thankful for. You, you know, and, and it's each and every one of us. And this is a growing and maturing process. The Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is not only does he convict us of our sin, convince us of Jesus and the cross, and conf- but he conforms us to the image of the Son. So your whole life, you should be able to look back on your life and see where God's Holy Spirit has been changing you and making you more Jesus-like, conforming you to the image of the Son. So with that said, I do want to get into some biblical passages. Um, Let me read really quickly for you the um, statement from the creedal statement, and then we're going to look at a couple of scriptures to back this up. It said, in this divine and infinite being, God being one being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of our communion with God and comfortable and 
comfortable dependence on him. Let me read that last sentence there. This doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him. So this doctrine, now when I say doctrine, I'm not just talking about something that some theologian made. What I'm saying is the doctrine is the teachings of Scripture. So the teachings of Scripture are our foundation for our communion with God how we have fellowship with him. So can you understand that by not having a grasp, and listen, I I read books about the Trinity all the time, and half of it sounds like French. Like there's some of these theologians that are out there in space somewhere, and I don't understand half of what they're talking about. But the reality is, is your relationship with God is based on God reaching to you and saying, I want to know you. So it doesn't all have to be confusing and difficult. He actually puts it in language where you and I can understand it simply, but it is also so profound that we will never understand it completely. You see? But this doctrine of the Trinity, the teachings of Scripture concerning the Trinity are the foundation of our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him. So I can depend upon him because what the scriptures teach me about him. Him being who? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let's look at a couple of passages. If I'm, I could get somebody to turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. This is known as the Great Commission. As Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven, he gave his disciples a commission. And what did he say? I want you to go out and I want you to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, why would I bring this passage up or why would the, why would the statement bring up this passage where do we see the Trinity in this? Where do you see the Trinity in this passage? Good. Jesus is teaching, and what did he say? Go baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three. But baptizing in them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many names? Three. How many names? One. one. <laughs> the name, one. Yes. One name, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. You see, see what he's done there? The Holy Spirit has made sure that we understand that there is one name, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, because they're all God. Yes. They're one. Yes. They're three in one, one in three. All right, so there's you a passage that... that is starting to reveal this. Um, Angela was very astute to bring up like three or four weeks ago. She brought up the fact that it is in the incarnation that we are finally made aware of the Trinity. 
in the Old Testament, the Jews and the Muslims and, and other people that adhere to the writings of Moses tell you there's only one God. Is the Trinity was there in the Old Testament. He was just hidden. But through the incarnation, through the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, we are now made aware it has been revealed to us. The mystery has now been revealed to us. And so let's look at another passage of Scripture really quickly. Um, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. 2 Corinthians 13 and 14. All right. The, what does it say there? The fellowship. 2 Corinthians 13 and 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. Now, who would that be talking about? The, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God. Who said it? Somebody said it. The Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All right, so there's the triunity right there in one statement. But let's look at each one of those. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song today, our last song. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. What is grace? What is the, the churchianity definition of grace? Anybody know? Unmerited. unmerited favor. Thank you very much. That's the Sunday school answer. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. What does it mean to say that it is unmerited? You don't earn it. God pours it on you, not because you deserve it, but because he is God and he loves you. The grace of Jesus Christ. All right, so I want to look at a couple of passages that show us that grace. What does it mean to say the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, look at 2 Corinthians. We're there now. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Somebody found that? Okay, what's it say? Amen. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though being rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty might, you might become rich. So what is the grace of Jesus Christ? It's the reality that he humbled himself and became a man and came and died on a cross and took his and put aside his riches and come down and assumed your poverty and took a death on a cross so that you could have a and took a death that you deserve so that you could have a life that you could never earn. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that he loved us enough to come and die for us. His father sent him and he said, "Father, I will go." And he completed it in all the will of his father he did. All right, one more verse about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John 17, 3. John chapter 17 and verse 3. Bless you. Somebody got it? John 17, 3. All right. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the grace of Jesus was his act of coming, 
to redeem us. And he did it. And he didn't do it because you deserve it. He did it because he loves you. And because you were a gift to him from the Father. Yes, yes. The Father said, go get your people. Yes. And Jesus came to the earth and died on that cross to save us. You see how that works? It's a beautiful picture of his grace. Now, what's the, in that, back to that passage, that 2 Corinthians 13, um, uh, 4 passage, 14, 13, 14 passage. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It says, not only the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the love of God. God is a loving God. And again, I want to reemphasize something because I, I went back and listened to the recordings. And someone may take from what I was teaching the other day that God is just some like stone brick wall that just doesn't care. And that's not the reality at all. God is a loving God, right? And so let's look at a passage of scripture. We've seen some passages of scripture that talk about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the love of God. Turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And it says this. I'll read that one. Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love by predestining us to an adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. What does it mean to say the love of God? It means that before you ever took a breath, before God ever said, let there be light, you were known to him. And he knew you. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit already had a plan in place before he ever said, let there be light, that you were going to be on his heart when he was pouring out his blood on that cross. Think about how gracious and loving our God is to know all of the wicked things that we were going to do in our life. And he gave us his love and his forgiveness, not because we deserve it, but because we desperately needed it. And he's a loving God. He cares about us. And so before the world was ever founded, you were on his mind. You were in his heart. And you were a part of his plan. And that doesn't give us any right in the world to brag or boast. I have no right to brag about that. Because it was before I did anything. You see? It was before I choose him. It was before I worshipped him and come to Sunday school. It was before I was ever drew a breath in my nose, his love was upon me. And that's an amazing thing to think about, that we have a God that has loved us before the foundation of the world. In, eternity, in all eternity, you were his beloved. That's amazing to think about. All right, and then finally, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We are having fellowship today. What does it mean to have fellowship? Fried chicken. Fried chicken. Right. If you're Baptist, that's what a fellowship means. That's exactly right, a covered dish dinner. And I've already learned that this is a definite Baptist church because I've been here and we've already had about six dinners and I've only been here two months. I'm not complaining. My belt, my belt loops are complaining, but I'm not complaining at all. But yeah, fellowship means what? It means communion. We're going to take communion today. There's a, we have a communion, a fellowship. Uh, it's a participation together. We are participating together. And so the Bible teaches us 
that through the Father and the Son, they have sent the Holy Spirit that we might have fellowship with one another and have fellowship with Him. You see? What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That means even the ones that get on your nerves. Right? And it also means the ones that have hurt you the worst. And in the coming days, we'll get into forgiveness. And did you know that one of the greatest expressions that you know God's forgiveness in your life is when you're willing to share that forgiveness with others, even the ones that don't deserve it? Because you got forgiveness when you did not deserve it. And in our fallen human nature, it's impossible for us to do that without the love and the compassion of God in us. So, uh, that's just a little exercise for you. I want you to think of that one person that just really tore you up in your life and you need to go home and forgive them. Okay? It's just that simple. Forgiving doesn't mean you forget. Forgiving, forgiving means this. God, it is not my place to judge them because in the same way that they hurt me, I have probably turned around and hurt other people. So I'm going to let you be their judge. And I am thankful that I am no longer under your judgment because of what your son Jesus did for me on the cross. And guys, you'll find that when you begin to let go of things, you'll feel you, yeah, not only feel better, you'll, you'll walk with God. Because he said, don't come to me with your prayers unless you've forgiven others. Like when you hold grudges against people, he's not going to hear your prayers. So it's very important. But that fellowship with the Father and the Son is based on our union with the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us into fellowship with God and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Even the ones we don't like. Even the ones that get on our nerves. Even the ones that, and this is important too, might not believe quite like I do. Yes. Yes. I could go around this room and, and yes. quiz you on what you believe and what you think. And everyone in the room are going to have little pet doctrines that we believe that other people don't believe. It's okay. We're going to say the Apostles' Creed today. Those statements are necessary. If you don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh, you are walking in heresy. Okay. But little things, little doctrines, are little doctrines. They're the audiophora. Well, that's, that's what's made up all different religions. Right. And he said that there must be division arise among you so that the, the truth can be brought to the surface. Like, there's a point in it. And so, and we've talked about this in the past. There's going to be things that I'm going to say up here sometimes that are going to, you're going to go, wait a minute, what did he just say? And, and, and I'm going to hear you say things sometimes that I'm just going to let it slide. Like, because it's not, as your pastor, it's my job to point you to the scriptures and say, this is what the scriptures teach. And you and I will come to fellowship and communion in what this says. And if you and I read something differently, that's between you and God. You know, and I can't judge you for that. And I would ask you to do the same for me. We can, we can fellowship together. And so, and that's one of the things that I've learned, um, I remember when I first came to faith and I was really on fire for the Lord, man, I had to tell everybody they were going to hell, you know, like I, everybody needed to know that they were going to hell because they weren't like me. 
you know, and everybody's not a Christian because you don't believe just the way I believe. And that's just pride. It's just silliness. But the reality is, is that it is through the Holy Spirit that we have fellowship with God. And so um, we really are out of time. <clears throat> uh, we, we, we're going to go, we'll have one more class next week on this, on the, um, of the Trinity. And we'll talk about a couple more things. I do want to, did you know that there's a passage of scripture in here? I'll, get, I'll let you find it. That way I'll know that you're doing research. But <clears throat> there's a passage of scripture in this reference here that's actually not in most of our Bibles. Um, if you are reading a King James Bible, you will have that passage in yours. But if you're reading a New American Standard Bible or an NIV or an NLT, um, it's been omitted from your Bibles. And there's a reason for it. We'll talk about that next week when we come back together. But you'll have to, so I'm not going to tell you what it is. That way you'll go home and research. But if you look up all of these verses right here, all of these verses, and one, one of those verses is not in, your, in the other Bibles besides the King James. All right. And I'll let you find that out. Um, again, uh, tomorrow night we do resume um, uh, our Bible study, uh, 6 o'clock. So please come if you can do that. Let's close with a quick word of prayer. Uh, Wayne, can, would you mind closing us in prayer?